I applaud any secondary um, teacher, middle and high school, because they they get students at a very um, sometimes a very tough time, and it is um, so important for them to build those relationships with them and understand the middle school child and understand the high school. Welcome child. to the Prince George's Daily. In this season, we will take a look back at some of our favorite interviews. We will revisit the in-depth and often surprising stories from some of our outstanding Prince Georgians. We will review concepts from education to business to the Center for Performing Arts, all in Prince George's County. And of course, every episode we will share the latest local weather and news. Hello, Prince George's County. I'm Del Roden, and today is January 8th, 2020. In today's episode of the Prince George's Daily, I talk with the principal of an elementary school in Hyattsville. Have you ever wondered what exactly the person in charge worries about over the break? Find out what most worries our Prince George of the day, Dr. Ryan Daniel. Check out that interview right after the weather. In today's weather, we can expect a high temperature in the mid-40s with the low tonight dropping back down to the 20s with clearing skies. Tomorrow, our high temperature will reach just under 40 degrees with mostly clear skies and a low temperature just under 30 degrees. High mid-50s for Friday. That's the weather for today, January 8th, 2020. Stay with us after the interview for news with our own Lillian Torres. In today's news, Lillian shares an update on the seagull case in Laurel, also fallout from the first snow of the year, and a story about children in need at our public schools in Prince George's County. Stay tuned right after the interview. Right now, though, let's hear from our Prince George of the day, Dr. Ryan Daniel. Okay, so you went to Crossan High School. Yes, I did. Um, what other, did you go to middle school? Yes, yeah, so I went to, I started at Avalon Elementary School, and then I matriculated to Thurgood Marshall Middle School, and then graduated from Crossland High School. So Prince George's County Public School product. Completely, wow. Mm-hmm. What was the best thing about going to Avalon? Uh, the principal. The principal was the best thing there. Um, and a kindergarten teacher that I had, Miss Jones. Uh, she, I, re, I remember, and it's funny because she actually became a substitute teacher in the county when she retired. And when I was a classroom teacher, she she came to my class to sub, and I kept looking at her, and I said, you look really familiar. And she's like, you do too. So we went down the history, and then uh, she, I said, Miss Jones? She said, Ryan, I said, you are my teacher. And she had a new, she had been married, so she had a new name um, and everything. But I, I remember her most of all, my kindergarten teacher. I, I definitely remember her. And just the, the principal was very active and the teachers were really active um, at Avalon. So that was that was a great elementary experience for me. Okay. Now, I have found in, in my limited experience that the toughest period is middle school. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you as a student? Ooh, so middle school, middle school was very tough. I had, for sixth grade, I had went to, my parents had put me in a private school, and then they took me out of it. And so I went, I was able to go back to public school. And so for third, I was at Thurgood Marshall for seventh and eighth grade, and it was a huge transition for me for seventh grade. Um, I, I felt like I had more freedom. 
got in trouble a lot. My dad ended up becoming the PTA president, and that that reeled me back in real quick (laughs) because he had a very active role in school. But I just remember having to navigate through, like, relationships and friendships and balancing multiple teachers and coming from the safety net of elementary school and just feeling like it just dropped off in middle school. So that um, that nurturing part that elementary has, it I didn't feel it all the time in middle school. You felt that from some teachers, but as a whole, you know, middle school is just is is, is rough. And so it, it was definitely definitely a learning experience. And what about your experience in high school? Oh, I loved high school. High school, I was um, I was a cheerleader, so I was very active in all things school spirit related. Um, I I had really, I had a mix of um, great and not so great teachers. Um, and so I, I learned through it all what type of teacher I wanted to become because I always knew I wanted to be a, um, an educator. And I had an opportunity to work in the front office um, my 11th and 12th grade year and then also work with a child development class. And so that was the best part for me of high school, just of course being a cheerleader and then also being able to be a part of the child development class because we had students that came to the school. So the the daycare and the center was at the school. So I really had that experience early of knowing that my passion was children and I really loved working with children. Okay. Who were your favorite teachers when you were at Crossland? My favorite teacher was my English AP teacher, Miss Nurse. She was my favorite teacher. What did you like about her? Uh, she really built relationships with us in and out of the classroom. Um, she was tough on us, so she took on that mom figure a lot. And um, she pushed us. And she wanted to learn just more about what made us, what made us, you know, students and what, you know, what pushed us and what made us upset about different things. So I, I always said that if, if I could be like any teacher, Miss Jones in kindergarten and Miss Miss Nurse in high school. So you said that you always knew you wanted to be a teacher. Yes. Did you decide this in like kindergarten or Well, according to my parents, I used to teach my stuffed animals and my doll babies. And so I they knew that I was going to do something where I was standing in front of people. I initially thought I was going to be a pediatrician. Then I found out how long they had to be in school. (laughs) And then I decided to go for my doctorate. So I was in school forever (laughs) either way. But I always knew, I have always loved children. And I've always worked in daycare settings and camp settings. And um, that that was always my niche, something I always loved to do. And uh, so when I got into high school in the child development class and learning more about education and how to educate children and the whole child, it just furthered my um, desire to be an educator. Can I ask about your college experience? Where'd you go to school? Um, I attended St. John's University in New York, and um, I decided to leave the area only because I wanted more experiences. Um, I I wanted to have an experience that was different than my um, K through 12 experience. I wanted to be in a more diverse population. I knew that I wanted to teach and I was going to be exposed to students from different cultures and different backgrounds. So I wanted to experience that in college. And um, I didn't want to be too far away from my family, but far enough for them to have to tell me that they're coming. 
And uh, but college life was amazing. I had a lot of opportunities to work um, in the inner city. Um, I, I, I student taught in Queens, um, in Lower Manhattan. Um, even did some teaching in Brooklyn. So I had an opportunity to really be in neighborhoods that I was very familiar with, and then around students that I was really passionate about. So when you decided to go to St. John's, were there other colleges you were looking at at the time? Yes, um, there were. And and St. John's was actually not my first choice. Um, I wanted to attend Temple uh, University. I wanted to also attend uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. But the campus, the campus was very city-like, and I was really looking for a true campus atmosphere. And um, I've always liked New York. And I, um, when we went to visit New York, I initially really wasn't feeling it. Um, but then when we got on campus and I talked to a lot of the other um, students that were on campus and then had an opportunity to make the, um, the cheerleading squad there too, I kind of increased my excitement um, for wanting to be there. But it took a while. So were you in school on an athletic scholarship? No, I wasn't. It was a, it was it was more of a partial athletic scholarship. They give a, a small trillion um, scholarship, but not a full scholarship. Okay, so it was still a athletic scholarship. Yes, and it came with certain rules. Yes, and... yes, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Okay, so can you describe what kind of rules and regulations were required of you as as a student athlete? Um, so as a student athlete, uh, definitely maintaining academic, um, high academic uh, expectations. Um, so there was a GPA that we could not go under. There were certain grades that we were not able to, you know, to get. I couldn't fail a course. Um, if I did, I would be put on academic probation. Um, your schedule had to kind of work within your practice schedule. And uh, so we had a lot of practice. Some, sometimes we have practice in the morning, and then a lot of times we'd have evening practices. So I couldn't really have any evening classes. Uh, so that made, made a difference. And we traveled a lot. And, and so you really had to be able to maintain your, um, your assignments and relationships with your professors in order to be able to travel as much as we did. Because at St. John's, um, we had a very... A high-performing uh, soccer team and and our basketball team, depending on which year it was, they didn't <laughs> you know they were in the tournament, the Big East tournament or not. Um, but because we played at Madison Square Garden for all of our home games when I was at St. John's, um, there was a lot of you know really having to be able to work your course schedule so that it worked within your practice and the um, basketball and soccer schedule as well. Okay, so. Was there like tutoring that you had to go to? Or? Not necessarily for us. There wasn't tutoring. Um, I know for other athletes there were there was, but I'm um, not for the cheerleading squad. Okay. Would you say that your experience as a student athlete sort of helped you to to get through the the college experience? And and if so, how? I definitely believe that being a student athlete helped me get through college. Um, it, it taught me first responsibility and management and how to, um, you know, really manage my time so that I am not stressed about an assignment or getting work in, and then also um, really building relationships. So I think it helped me become even more of a people person. I, I'm by natural ability a people person, but I, but it helped me develop more relationships and different relationships. Um, it also gave me new experiences to talk about and then share with others and then eventually share with students. 
and I um I have I've always coached cheerleading as well. So I really push the student athlete. And so for my um my cheerleaders that I've coached in the past, you know, getting them to understand the importance of education as well as whatever your sport is. Like you have to be able to balance both. One can't trump the other. They go hand in hand. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I don't know if I've ever met um a principal who was a college cheerleader. Mm. Well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to um, uh, when you were a cheerleader in, in high school. How did that affect your educational experience at Crossland? Um, I wouldn't say it affected it too much um, just because, you know, it's, it's still high school cheerleading and it's not to the level that high school cheerleading is now. Um, as far as the number of competitions, but it did um, make me continue to focus on my education. I have always, you know, kept good grades. Um, I, it's what my parents instilled in me, and I love learning, and I've always loved learning. So I never really struggled with not maintaining the grades, but that helped me push myself even more. So there was a minimum requirement of a 2.0. But, you know, for our coach, she pushed us that, you know, we're, you're, her cheerleaders were honor roll students, so straight A students. So it was, it was a constant push. Um, it made me more aware of my behavior around the building because, you, you, you know, you come, become an athlete, you have a spotlight on you. So I definitely had to ensure that my relationships and friendships around the building were navigated strategically um, just because the spotlight is always on you. They know you're a cheerleader. They, you know, they'll let your coach know. They'll pull you from a game, say that you can't go to practice. And I never I never wanted that. So let's jump forward now to to your your current role. Uh, What is your current role? I am the proud principal of Chillum Elementary School, located in Prince George's County Public Schools. How long have you been the principal? This is my third year at Chillum. Were you a principal elsewhere? No. Um, I served as an assistant principal for two years at Calverton Elementary School, still in Prince George's County, and then worked in other roles and capacities around the county. Okay. Now, how do you get from your education at, at St. John's and your student teaching in New York to the principalship, uh, proud principalship <laughs> at Chillum Elementary. So can you take me on that path? Okay. Um, so this is my 13th year in the county. Um, and so my tenure started the 2007-2008 school year. So I started my teaching at Forest Heights Elementary School. Um, I was in the classroom for five years. I've taught third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Um, six in elementary school, not six in middle school, because there is a difference. Uh, and then after um, my fifth year, my principal received a promotion to a middle school, and she took me with her. And so that was my first experience being out of the classroom, where I built the capacity of teachers around instructional technology. It was also my first experience in middle school. That did not last long. I was only in middle school for one year. I realized elementary school was it for me. And I went back into elementary school after that one year at Nicholas Orm Middle School. And then from there, I moved into different leadership positions within the county. So I've served as a math instructional lead teacher and a school testing coordinator. And then I had the opportunity to work in our central office 
the Office of Talent Development where I mentored and coached new teachers. So I had 21 teachers around the county at four different schools that were they were first year teachers and I got to support and mentor and coach them through their first year. And then I um, was able to become an assistant principal and then was appointed to principal. Okay, I want to go back to your middle school year. <laughs> that one middle school year. First, tell me the difference between sixth grade and elementary and sixth grade and middle school. I don't know. We we I think science is still trying to figure that out because there's a difference when they are in elementary school. So I think in elementary school as a sixth grader, they are the cream of the crop. They're the top of the food chain. There's nobody, you know, they're the oldest in the building. Most of them have been in that school all the way from pre-K to kindergarten. They get to middle school. They're the bottom. They're the youngest in the building. They're very timid. They're very shy. They have to worry about lockers and multiple teachers and students that are from different neighborhoods because, you know, in middle school, different elementaries pour within the middle school. So now they have to navigate this neighborhood versus that neighborhood, and it's a, and it's a lot. And I think the safety net that surrounds students in elementary school, um, just that, you know, that elementary environment is very different when they go to middle school. They're, you know, they are encouraged to be more independent. They are finding themselves socially and I, I believe that once they get into middle school, something shifts inside of them. Something mm -hmm. shifts inside of them. Okay, but that's the perspective from the students. Mm -hmm. But from the administrator or from the teachers, what's the, the difference between a, a sixth grader and a seventh grade, or sixth grader and a sixth grade middle school or a... Just that the six that that they they are now they're not the oldest anymore. They become the youngest. So and they're the oldest in elementary school, but they're the youngest in middle school. So they need more nurturing from the teachers. I I, they, I just they or? need more coaching. They need more guidance. Um, they most sixth grade most sixth graders in middle school, um, they may not have as many teachers as the seventh and eighth grade um, cohorts. They may be kind of in one separate hallway away from seventh and eighth grade. So it, the the transition is a little bit smoother for them or the, the goal is for the transition to be a little bit smoother, similar to what we do in elementary school for pre-K students or kindergarten students. Making that first year in a new school setting very comforting and um, just kind of giving them guidance and support along the way. So I'm just picturing this whole experience mm -hmm. from the elementary school perspective and from the middle school perspective. If I'm a, a brand new kid to school, let's say in first grade, I mm -hmm. transferred in, mm -hmm. I'm in first grade and I'm looking at the pre-K people, I'm looking at the fifth grade people and there's a huge difference mm -hmm. between these people and, and those people. That's gotta be more terrifying than the middle school where if I enter at seventh grade and I only got the eighth graders mm -hmm. or the sixth graders. Mm. No. Have you been in middle school? I have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, middle, but, you know, socially, those students are um, just that, that age group. They are finding out who they are. They are trying to be independent, but then they also want mom or dad to help or save them in situations. They're learning about friends. They're learning about just social settings and how to be in social settings. They're learning time management because now they had, they went from one teacher or two teachers in elementary school to four to six teachers. 
So they have to balance schedules and different things. And then, you know, the students that they have been with all of these years for the past five, six years, now it's two, three hundred other students that are now coming into the same school. So they're different friends, they're different crews, um, different neighborhoods that they also have to learn about, too. Okay. I can imagine that would be challenging for the for the kids. Mm-hmm. I can also imagine it would be extraordinarily challenging for the, the teachers mm-hmm. to sort of be the support yes. for yes. those kids mm-hmm. as they're learning who they are mm-hmm. and who everybody else is yeah. and how that impacts who they are. Middle school teachers have a true gift. They, they definitely, I, I applaud any secondary um, teacher, middle and high school, because they, they get students at a very, um, sometimes a very tough time. And it is um, so important for them to build those relationships with them and understand the middle school child and understand the high school child in order to keep and make them successful. So it sounds to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. that teaching in the elementary school is easier than teaching the secondary. I wouldn't say it's easier. There are different challenges. There are definitely different challenges there. Um, it takes special people to teach elementary school because in elementary school you um, you deal with different things that middle school and high school teachers you know deal with. So where we we deal with a lot of um, we deal with a lot of behavior and social emotional that is sometimes those students don't really understand. And, and or it's impacted by other things, and it's the in middle school and high school they deal with it as well, but it's a it's a different level. And so um, also with elementary school teachers, they're required um, in most settings to teach all subjects. So whereas in middle school and, and and high school, if I'm an English teacher, I'm an English teacher. If I'm an algebra teacher, but if I'm a third grade teacher at so and so elementary school, I'm teaching reading, math, science, social studies, health. Um, oral written communication skills, some behavioral skills. So I'm including all of that. So every level has its own challenges, and it's a special teacher that, you know, supports students at that level. You have to find your niche. So when you were an administrator at the middle school? I, I, was, I was a teacher leader, no, not an administrator at all. So I was still in the, I was still in the teacher <laughs> capacity supporting um, from outside of the classroom. Okay, so you were supporting teachers. I was supporting teachers at, and at students, the, yes. The middle school. And then you support teachers at the elementary school, right? Yes, yes, different capacities. So the the work was different. So in the middle school, I worked with, we were we had a, a one-to-one iPad technology program, and it was my job to provide um, professional development to teachers around the effective and appropriate uses of the technology within the classroom and then support them in that work. And then help with management of it, just the the technical side of it. When I was in elementary school, uh, my focus was really on instruction and building um, the math uh, instruction for the school and then also being the testing coordinator. So for all of the standardized testing and district-level testing that we would have and kind of being the management over that as well. Okay, so let me ask you a question that's completely um, off to the side. Is there an impact from the federal policy on what you do in your school today? Yes and no. It depends on the area. Um, so, for example, Chillum is a Title I school. And so Title I um, school means that we utilize federal fund, f- 
funding. So I do have some regulations when it comes to certain ways that I use my Title I funding. Um, and Title I funding comes from the number of students that we have on free or reduced lunch meals. And, excuse me, with the Title I funding, if I want to purchase an item for my building, I have to show the justification of how this, this item is going to support the instruction of my building and align it to the goals. So I can't just say, oh, I need a box of paper and I'm going to use my Title I funds for it. I have to really al al outline and align the paper to whatever instructional goal that we have, that we're having and how it's going to be measured. Um, so that's one way the federal um, impacts our school, and then also I'm, I have a pre-K program, a full-day pre-K program, and that's also through federal funds. So it is income-based. I have to look through all of the um, applications and make sure that we are following the guidelines um, from the Early Childhood Office and making sure that those students have what it is that they need. When you look back at... Uh, when you first started teaching or when you look back when you were in the classroom, do you have a certain type of student who was your favorite to work with or um, easiest to work with? And, of course, the opposite of that, the type of student who was hardest to work with. Mm. Now, that's the same thing from a principal's perspective as well. Um, I, I, when I, I did not have a preferred student. I did not have a preferred student. I had a student that I naturally was able to um, support and work with the most. Um, I always received the most challenging students behavior-wise. Um, that, you know, if, a, if another teacher had difficult time with that student, I was the classroom that he or she sent the student to, whether it was my student or another student. And and I think it's because I I really believe in building relationships with students and getting to know them. And I think because of that, I come from a different place with them. Um, those students that have behavioral challenges. So I take the time to get to know them. And whereas some teachers, administrators may have difficult time with students that have a lot of behavioral challenges or very resistant to new relationships. I um, I thrived off of those students because that was a challenge that is like, I'm going to show you how much I care about you. Like, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And, and then, you know, you keep showing that love, you keep showing that care, it ends up breaking down the wall. And then that student will go hoops and bounds and leaps for you. And then you get them to understand the importance of, okay, now that you show me this respect, you need to show your teacher that's respect. And you need to show this teacher, you know, when I'm not here, you need to be showing every other um, staff member the same respect that you would show me. In some ways, it sounds like mm -hmm. you're like um, another parent. Yes. Yes. Edu being an educator, you, you step in a role um, as the um, the other parent, it's the local parentis. Like we we take that role. Parents send to school the best that they have, and they they expect the school system. They expect the school to give all that they have and all that they can for their student. And so we, as educators, we step in that role. We we're not just teaching them 
education, like we're teaching them life skills, we're helping them navigate relationships and friendships, we're teaching them how to be in social settings, academic settings, how to manage their anger and their time. And you, so you step in that role as a parent, not stepping on the toes of a parent, but getting students to understand that, you know, we're working, we're working together for you. Richards County, I am Lillian Torres, and here is the latest news for today. Widespread snow has come to an end for the DMV, and colder, clearing skies are forecast overnight. Many areas of the DMV picked up accumulating snow Tuesday, including inside the Beltway. Parts of western Maryland registered more than four inches of snow. There were widespread reports of three to four inches of snow across Virginia and west of Metro DC. With temperatures dropping well below freezing overnight, any moisture or snow left on the roads will refreeze. This could create slick spots Wednesday morning. Some schools have canceled for Wednesday, including Prince William County Schools, and many are operating on a two-hour delay, such as Arlington, Fairfax, Lodon, and Prince George's Public Schools. Wednesday will be blustery with flurries, possible over parts of Maryland. The best chance of flurries Wednesday will be in the morning along I-70 between Frederick and Hagerstown. And for a second story today, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals is offering a $5,000 reward to help track down the person who went out of their way to kill several seagulls in Laurel, Maryland. While the Laurel Police Department has not released a description of the person or the car used in the January 4th attack, PETA called whoever the suspect is a cruel and dangerous person. Corporal Wilson said someone dropped popcorn in the Laurel Plaza parking lot to lure and group a group of seagulls. The suspect used a car and ran the seagulls over when the birds started eating. At least 10 of the birds were killed, and Corporal Wilson was able to save one of them. PETA is begging the public to help find whoever did this before this person harms or kills anyone else. And for our last news story today, over 75% of school districts across the country have unpaid student school lunch debt including the Prince George's County School District. Prince George's County Public Schools is one of the nation's largest school districts with 206 schools and centers, over 134,000 students, and 22 employees. Many of its students face school lunch debt. In order to relieve some of that debt, Dark Cars Automotive Group is paying off the school lunch debt for every student in Prince George's County Public Schools. Chief Operating Officer Jamie Darnish presented a $25,000 check to the Nonprofit Excellence in Education Foundation for PGCPS on Tuesday. Dark Cars said when parents fall behind on lunch payments, the children are ultimately impacted. The automotive group is looking to fix this issue in different districts. Monica Goldson, Prince George's County Public Schools CEO, said in a press release, 
This donation will not only cover debt accumulated from the start of this school year, but will help extend the community that surrounds Prince George's County Public Schools. For the Prince George's Daily, I am Lillian Torres. This podcast is brought to you by Prince George's Community News and Prince George's Community College, celebrating over 60 years of offering the highest possible standards in college education for the county and the region. Visit us at pgcc.edu. The opinions expressed on the Prince George's Daily Podcast do not necessarily represent those of Prince George's Community College, its employees, or its affiliates. The producers of the Prince George's Daily Podcast are Heavenly B, Maude Desai, David Smalls, Joshua Boykin, Brian Green, and Chandra Durham, and is executively produced by Dale Roten. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our discussion on businesses in Prince George's County. This is the Prince George's Daily.